welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And we're live with the sales doctor himself, Matt Wilcox. Is is your real doctor? Sales doctor. So James Hahn, James Hahn, one of your former colleagues, dubbed, dubbed you that nickname to me. We were talking wow. about you, and, and I've always been a huge Matt Wilcoxon fan. I'm, I'm like giddy that he's on this podcast today. Rarely do you have people that you look up to when they're younger than you, but that happens to be one of these situations for me. I always admired Matt, but James well, is hold, like, hold on. Let oh, me, let me, I want to reinforce that, the Jeremy's admiration of you, Matt, because when I hired Jeremy at Energy Navigator, the first person he wanted to introduce me to for a potential partnering call was you. He said, I want, I want you to meet Matt. He's really good. He's up here in Denver with drilling info and thought that was, wow. Okay. So. Well, I, I would say it goes both ways. I've, it's been fun the last, what, 12, 18 months to see punk futures get off the ground. That's uh, thanks, man. that's been an exciting thing. So happy to be here. Looking forward to uh, spend some time with you guys. Love it. Love it. So, so I want to go back to, to the Genesis, right? I, I know you pretty well from a career standpoint. I mean, you've been effectively at, at one company. And if, if you could pick one company to have started at in 2005 and still be there in 2022 in energy tech, it's probably in Veris. I couldn't think of a company that's had a better rise in trajectory. But I want to get into to you, the person, like, who are you? Where are you from? What, what, how did you get into this path of getting right into an a energy tech startup at, at a college? Sure. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I grew up in Houston. Dad was in the uh, dad was in the oil patch, you know, largely doing stuff outside of the U.S. Uh, big kind of FPSO projects, and so I've been around the industry my entire life, which is ex- exactly why I told myself I'm not going to get into it. And uh, you know, for a year or so, I, I didn't. I was doing real estate consulting in Houston, and a good friend of mine I still work with today, Colin Westmoreland, he'd been trying to recruit me over to uh, over to Drilling Info at the time, and Finally, after about a year of, of persuasion, I moved from Houston to Austin to get in the oil and gas industry, which I think I'm one of a, a small number of people that, that took that yeah. trajectory. Normally, it's the other yeah. way around. Yeah. Uh, so I've always loved the industry, really. Uh, I, I think it's an admirable industry to be in, something that's exciting. It's a modern day treasure hunt. Um, you don't have to be big. You, you can be small. You can be all shapes and sizes to be successful. Uh, and it's really the epitome of entrepreneurship. And for me, starting back with Drilling Info back in 2005, you know, it was early stage. You know, we were low single digit millions in terms of revenue. And, you know, I asked Alan all the time, you know, even recently, did, did you ever think we'd get to where we were at? And he'd always say with a smirk, never had a doubt. And uh, <laughs> I questioned him on that one. But uh, no, it's it's been a great ride. And, and you know, what a great space to be in. Uh Joining technology really at the right time, joining the the energy space at the right time, really kind of you know pre uh, shale development. Uh, really, the Barnett was the only thing around when I started, and it's been a crazy ride with a lot of a lot of really fun uh, journeys along the way. Fantastic people, love the people in this industry, love the people I get to work with. So, uh, you know, I've been here for seventeen years, largely because people we get to serve and the people I get to work with. You know, I I don't know what else I'd rather do. Well, that's great. I, the, uh, I was looking, researching your uh, background just a little bit, you know, to get for the show here. And, you know, 
it's funny in the oil and gas space when you're just kind of going by someone's degree plan. So, you know, you went to Texas and I'm here to antagonize you a little bit with my shirt, but totally uh, fair. so and I just saw geo and just kind of scroll past and my head just immediately went, Oh, geology. And then I, when I went back by and I saw, Whoa, that's not geo that's geography. What? What? Why you a know, geography degree? You know, I, I, I would just like to give a shout out to all the geography majors out there. That there is a bright future for you, despite what you're <laughs> in college. You you can go places. So use this as your opportunity to to know that the future's bright. So you don't have to be the other type of geo. No, I, I, I've always loved geography. You know, in all shapes and sizes, and I think that's why it. You know, I love working at Embarrass. It's taken me to 23 different countries over the last 17 years, and. Uh, you know, my parents had the old adage, go and do something you love. And, you know, lo and behold, I uh, ended up in the uh, geography department of the University of Texas. And uh, there's some applicability, I'd like to say, you know, we look at a lot of maps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Inveris is a, is a behemoth now. We'll, we'll talk about that. But but at the time, I mean, drilling info was was data and and maps, right? Was that sort of the initial solution in 2005, 2006? Yeah, the the uh, the genesis was uh, let's see real time permits online on a map. Like that was the simple, you know, minimal viable product at the time was, you know, let's take railroad commission data, let's put it on a map, and let's serve it online. And you know, it it, it obviously grew into a lot more over the last you know twenty plus years. I remember my first trip to the drilling info office. I was visiting Ramona Hovey, who we mentioned in the pre-show. We'll talk about that in a minute. We she takes me down and she's kind of giving me a little tour of the Austin office, much smaller then, and opens a door and shows me a bunch of she said, This is where all the UT students are, are digitizing maps for us. Yeah. So, so all students from the university hire them part-time and just down here just digitizing maps. Yeah, that that that's absolutely true. It was we had a great connection with the uh, GIS department at the University of Texas, and it was a great way to get really cheap labor to go out and do some pretty technical types of work. So, yeah, that was that was definitely part of our beginning. Have you uh, w- when did Drilling Info get founded? Was it? It was really ninety nine. First product came out really, you know, kind of summer ish of two thousand. Okay. Um, so have you gone now? You've been there seventeen plus years, and. Through attrition and and all that, have you calculated what seniority you have over uh, current employees? You got to be pretty close to the top now. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm third now. Third. That's that's got to be because Col- Colin brought you in, right? And then there's yeah, Colin brought else. me in. There's there's another gentleman, Corey Roden, who came with us through an acquisition of HPDI. Oh. Uh, so he's technically, you know, longer tenured, but uh, you know, I think it's debatable. You gotta well, you gotta give them that because I mean HPDI is is really core piece. It's not like some little That's right. Yeah, okay. Well, so, shout out to Corey. I know him as well. So Wow, look at you, Tim. Yeah, there there's a a lot of memories flooding into my into my head right now from 2010, 11, 12, 13, kind of like right before Matt, we all had kids, right? And it was easier oh, yeah. for people like you, myself, Marsha V. Hill, Hunter, uh, and gang to get together, play golf, get some drinks, and now we're like It'd be cool if we could do that, you know, sometime. <laughs> Let's find one day versus like every other Friday for a summer, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah, well, I'll that. tell you what, from speaking from my end, suddenly it gets easier uh, 
18 years later, when you start getting rid of the kids and you can start to have reunions on Saturday evenings, we just started those now that I've gotten, gotten rid of my kids. And well, yeah. let's take a pause right years there. Away from there. Yeah. Tim, <laughs> congratulations. You are a grandfather. That is That's awesome. right. As of January 2nd, I have a grandson, Watson. My oldest uh, got married in the summer, had the kid a little bit early, um, but all's well. So it's been kind of an interesting ride for us. I'm still getting used to the new titles, but I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, Grandpa, we, we appreciate you still showing up. I know life has taken its tolls on you, and I see the gray showing up in your beard. So you know, Yeah, it's no, getting grayer. No I'm, I'm looking to see if I can actually fill out the gray enough to play Santa at, at, uh, in December next it's year. We'll close. see. It's getting close. Anyways, back to back to Matt. So when did you move to Denver and, and why? I guess Texas kid, you were in Austin, you went to UT, you had a good yeah. job. Well, what what uh what spurred the Denver move? Well, the company was growing uh, obviously incredibly fast back in 2006, 2007. And I was gonna move somewhere and having grown up in Houston, didn't really want to do that. You know, having grown up in Houston, you're not allowed to move to Dallas. Yeah, And, you know, having grown up in Houston, you're not going to move to Oklahoma either. So uh, my wife and at the time said, hey, let's 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 try out this Denver thing. We thought we'd do it for a couple of years and seven. What is it? Fifteen years later, still here. No real intention to go anywhere. I was going to say, are you like the typical Denver relocator is like now I'm here. I'm done. This is this is permanent. Pretty much. Pretty much. I think we're uh, you know, we got three three native kids now. So I, I think yeah. our status has kind of gone up the chain. We're no, okay. no longer a relocated Texan, so uh, we're we're, uh, we're staying put. That's nah, beautiful. So you know, Jeremy, I was just thinking about this before the show. Enverus and the various guys that we've had on, I think they're definitely the most. We've had the most guests in from Enverus on our show. Uh, this is well, we had Corey and Ian. That was an acquisition. I mean, yes, right. they're Enverus now, but they're Red Dog guys, right? I mean, right. Um, Ramona, got Matt, Ramona, Alan. Alan. Is there somebody I think, else? I, think I mean, there's obviously there's got to be other people that came through. Like Trent Stoker's coming on in like two weeks, and you got Patrick yeah. Ruddy. He was on. Patrick, oh, that's Patrick. right, Patrick. Yeah. Well, we got we got a pretty big alumni list. You know, when you're a company of 1,500 people, uh, you, you you tend to uh, have people all around. But there's so many personalities that. Have, have come through there. Uh, that's, I think that's the thing is that I, Alan seemed to get some real big personalities that, that came in and came through the company and really kind of shaped it. So I, well, at least that's, that's my take. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, I think for the longest time, you know, we were, we were a family through and through and, and with being a family, you're dysfunctional. You, you get in a lot of fights <laughs> and at the end of the day, you, uh, you go have a beer and, uh, and hug it out. So, that was that that's how it was for uh for really the first five plus six, seven, eight years was, you know, a good group of people with a ton of personality that uh you know went like this a lot, but uh, that's how we got things done. And, you know, it was a lean shop for a really, really long time and you know, really cared about the industry. And, you know, when you bring a landman, a geologist, a geophysicist, an engineer together, you're you're gonna have some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention a few sales guys who need a product that's, to sell. That's right. And, and you know, a salesperson, we're, uh, we're pretty needy folk. <laughs> no, no question. So, Matt, one of the things that, that I wanted to talk about in this show is um, 
that that really, I mean, I don't think I've ever asked you this directly, but how have you dealt with with change? I think for me in my career, change while I'm at a company has been the hardest thing. Like when I get the urge to like, I need to go somewhere else. Well, it's because Tim just changed my territory or took this account or or now somebody else has this responsibility and I wanted that job title and, and all these things like bubble up. It's like, I'm out, right? It's, it's easier yeah. for me to go than to stay. I can't think of anyone who's probably dealt with more change and stayed at a company from small to, I think you just said, 1,500 plus people. How have you dealt with that? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't easy and there's probably times now where it's still challenging, but but how do you coach your team to deal with change and, and how have you yourself um, handled the immense amount of transition at your organization? Yeah, it's, it's obviously been a lot. You know, we've gone through 20 plus acquisitions over the course of the last five or six years. And, and with that, you know, three different private equity sponsors. And so, yeah, there, there is a ton of change. I think in, inherently people, they're, they're change adverse in their professional careers. They're excited about change in their personal lives. You know, you see change all the time in terms of getting to the new house, getting to the new car, having kids, changing the environment, the landscape you're in on travel and things like that. And so, you know, for me personally, it's, you know, how do you take the personal side of your life and the things that you really desire about change that, that you want that's positive change? Uh, and how do you marry that internally with, with what you're going through professionally? Because um, the reality is your professional lives and, and personal lives just overlap, uh, probably more so now than they ever have with, with work from home and COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you have the perspective that, that I desire change in, in the right places, um, and what are those types of things that I can glean from the new opportunities I have at the organization that I'm at, uh, it, it can change your perspective. Uh, and, and it certainly has for me, you know, change, change is one of the things that without change, there's, there's limited upside to anything great that you can do. And yep. for me personally, all the, all the hardships and challenges that I went through, you know, taught me just about the opportunity that that was now created. And as I look back, it was some of the moments where, where change really allowed for the most development that I'd ever gone through. And I think if you can embrace that, uh, it's an opportunity to develop in a way that, that can make you an incredible leader, uh, can make you an incredible partner uh, and somebody that, that really is just driving the right type of culture. So uh, it's hard. I know it. Uh, but at the same time, if you take out of it what you really want, uh, you, can find, you can find some great opportunity. You know, I think people get people settle into routines, you know, even just changing the form or, you know, uh, you, once you kind of get set in those routines in your professional life, you don't want them to change because you know what's going on because your personal life is in. Well, it's a constant state of change. So, constant state of change. Yeah, I think so. I'm a, so Jeremy called you the sales doctor. I want to get on one of my kind of pet things on sales. Salespeople. <clears throat> in general, deal with the, they, they have a constant up and down, you know, um, and it's emotional. You lose a big deal, you get a big deal. uh, You know, you get a new manager, your territory changed. Now you got to go and work a whole new set of clients. You know, these are big emotional swings more so than I think people in actually in the software development or uh, somewhere else kind of have to go through. Um, and I know you've coached a lot of salespeople as well as being 
a top-notch sales guy yourself. How do you coach people through the those emotional ups and downs and maybe try to level off the peaks, the good ones yeah. and the bad ones? How do you do that? Yeah, I uh, I try to tell people the same thing. I've never been a good enough salesperson to get somebody to buy something they don't want. And I've never been a bad enough salesperson to get somebody to not buy something they need. And, and I say that all the time. And, and the reason I say that is because the thing that I focus on is the inputs. What are the wins that I can have day to day that allow me to feel good about the progress that I'm making? Because if, if I measure myself only against the output, the output being some sort of post deal or revenue growth or whatever those things are, those are actually, you know, in many ways out of my control. Um, now I can do a great job to get it to the point where somebody buys or, or, or says yes. But the reality is, you know, those things happen if I do a great job on the inputs. So am I an advocate of my customer? You know, do I care about the industry? You know, do I care about the people I work with? I'm visiting with them. Am I helping them understand, you know, the value creation from the products we have? If I'm doing those things, I'm, I'm going to win way more times than I don't. But if I'm focused on the output, which I see a lot of people, salespeople mm. focused on numerically measuring their success, that's one way. Um, but that isn't the only way. And if you look back in the last couple of years, holy cow, like, mm. you know, the landscape changed 100 percent. And if I'm only focused on the in-state number, how do you go home feeling good about yourself? And so I, I try to work with people and say, hey, let's focus on the things that you control. Let's focus on the day to day. Let's focus how you represent the company, how you represent your teammates and, and, and how you, you advocate for your customer base. Uh, and, and hopefully that, that allows people a little, little more, uh, even nature, but, uh, we're all still salespeople by heart and we all still care about the end state. Yeah. And I think the, you've got the chief revenue officer or whoever's in charge of looking at that, breathing down your neck all the time, who is focused on that end state. So I guess, you know, it's natural for the sales guys to always think if I don't make the sales, then I'm, I'm on the chopping block and you know. And that name may very well be true. Yeah. I mean, Matt, you, that was really, really good stuff. The input versus output. And, and I think it's, that's a fundamental cultural flaw within a lot of sales organizations. is the focus is only on the output and not, well, what is somebody actually doing to get there? And, and is this person maybe more skilled than another person whose output is better, but the input stinks because that can happen sometimes, right? Yeah. And you, you don't want to get snowed over by it. What about this? Let me push back on you like this. You, you tell people, hey, you know, th- this is what you need to do. You need to do this and that. What if someone's like, well, I mean, that's easier for you, Matt. Like you, you're such a good sales guy. You've been here forever. You've had this trajectory. It's harder for me, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you reflect your personal experience back? Because your trajectory at this company is different than somebody that comes on as a newer sales yeah. guy. Yeah, I, I say it this way. Don't do it my way. I, I think the fundamental flaw that everybody gets into is they they look at some of the best people they've been around and, and they try to do it exactly that way. The reality is they're a different person. You've got you've to figure out what are the high level types of themes that I need to apply to me and how I want to work, me and how I want to work within the space that I play. And, and you adapt. And, and the, the worst thing you can do is try to copy anybody else because you're not somebody else. And so, you know, take, take the things that make you great, take the things that you do well and just do more of them. So good, man. And, and to, to tie that to Chris Dinkler, your, your, your chief growth officer. Now, I think Chris would just moved into right. chief revenue officer. Chris has been a mentor friend of mine. And 
And he was somebody very early on. I'm like, we're very different. That guy's style, my style, the way he talks to customers, the way he does business is different. But the things that I really picked up from him was, was how to do creative business deals, how to ask for the business, how to differentiate, differentiate yourself from the other salesperson that's yeah. competing on the other side of the table. So even though I knew I would never try to emulate him, there were things that I picked up from him where I'm like, I'm going to use that my entire career. Right. So, and for me, that was immensely valuable as a, as a younger sales guy. And I'm sure he's imparting that onto, um, onto oh, other folks. Yeah. He, he uh, loves to talk about cadence as well. So what's your, <laughs> what's your cadence? So, you know, well, it's funny. I, I talked, uh, I, I, Sandler training is, I, I think is one of the best, uh, sales training things out there. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I've been detached from it for a while, but one of the things they talk about is, a triangle called BAT, behavior, attitude, and technique or training. And they that's really what you need to focus on. The behavior gets you out of bed. Your attitude is, you know, what you already talked about, trying to level out those emotions. And then then you can concentrate on technique and you develop your own technique, your own scripts. Your and uh so if you've if you've got those in balance, I think you know you you've got a pretty good approach. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I think most importantly for any kind of up and coming salesperson, um, if I can make a recommendation to any of them, there, there's a book I read that that's lasted with me, you know, as I've developed sales folks, as I've, I've worked with people even outside of sales and, and, you know, as I've looked to hire, there's a Patrick Lencioni book called Ideal Team Player. And it talks about looking for people that are humble, hungry, and smart. Smart to not intelligent, smart to people smart. And if you can find those three characteristics in anybody or develop yourself to those three characteristics, um, especially in today's world, you know, you become the type of team player that not only will elevate yourself, but it's going to elevate the people around you. The the culture that you guys have bred is is uniquely different. And, and let me sort of dive into to what I mean by that. I probably should have worked with you for you at some point, but my ego wouldn't allow me to. And ironically, I thought that was because you guys had the ego. It wasn't. It was because I had the ego. It's intimidating sometimes when you're the top individual contributor, like I've been at a few different places. And then you talk to a company and you go in and it's like, these guys are, are very humble, very measured, very respectful because I've been trained or taught as the lone wolf sales guy to go shoot and kill everything and eat everything. So when I come into interview, it's like, Jeremy, we need you to do this. And I'm like, no, Matt, I want to do this, 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 and this because I'm that good. I can do all yeah. that. Well, it's not like that here. This is a different type of company. And it took me some time to realize that is a cultural mindset that you guys have, which is basically you walk in the door, we all respect what you've done, but everyone here is going to have a seat at the table and an opportunity to contribute. It's not going to be necessarily because of age um, or experience. It's going to be because what you can offer and what you can do as a team. And, and frankly, I think that could be intimidating to some um, talk a little bit about how you guys have fostered a, a team-centric culture um, at a growing organization. Yeah, I, I think as we look at the types of objectives that we have for where we want to go as an organization, you know, I, I think one of the things that everybody talks about is being customer first. And, and while I think that that in theory is the right way to think about it, uh, I, I would actually say it differently. The way that I would say it is you need to create happy employees. Happy employees create happy customers. And to create happy employees, you got to foster a culture and an environment where people feel like they have a stake in the game, that their voice is heard, um, that the organization is relatively flat. 
uh, and that there's an opportunity for people to advance, you know, with a lot of experience, uh, not a lot of experience, different backgrounds, uh, you know, different journeys and things like that. And, and if you don't have that, you end up with a series of, of individuals and not a team. And so mm-hmm. for us, the most important thing is that the energy landscape changes, you know, almost every day. You know, what, what's a problem, you know, 12 months from today doesn't even exist today. And so, you know, the only way that you're going to be able to create really engaged, happy customers is to have a culture of really happy people. Uh, and it is the first and foremost focus that we have as an organization. I'll go back to what I said before, the, the, the output being growth of the company. That's a derivative of, of building a place that people want to be at and people are excited to be at. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a foundational thing for, uh, for our company. You think that goes all the way back to those early days with Alan and it, it does. I mean, it, it, it really does. I, I think, you know, Alan is one of the, you know, most incredible people I've ever been around uh, in terms of how much he cares about the people that he works with. You know, if you've ever worked with him, you've got you, you will have spent time with him. You'll have shared a meal with him. You will have gone, gone on a journey with him. Yeah. Um, and he cares about the people. And I think that, that was a, uh, that was a foundational thing when drilling info got started and yeah, happy to say 20 plus years later, it's still going. It's funny that, you, well, you, we knew we were going to get there, but I'm going to go ahead and take it there. So we had Ramona Hovey on as one, probably one of our very early guests. Um, and, and I remember reading my first set of blogs when blogs were the big thing from Alan. And he actually talked to, he wrote a blog, the waltz across Texas. And I asked Ramona about it and she talked about this road trip. And I believe that road trip was, was her, Alan and uh, Melinda <clears throat> driving to Corpus and all these different places over the course of a week and, and what that was like. Um, so what, you know, so it's, it strikes me as a, as this interesting, Oh no, we're just going to go where they are. We're going to go straight to our customers and, and all that. And, um, it's just interesting that Alan would just jump in a car with whoever it is and we're just going to go. So, I mean, I know you've got a good story about that, but what's that like? Oh, the first time I ever did it, it was my seventh day on the job. Day Day seven, you know, Alan comes up to me on day four and he's saying, Hey, I need you to meet you know, meet me here on Sunday morning at the office at, at 9 a.m. I said, well, what, are, what are we doing? He said, well, just pack a bag and, uh, you know, we'll be gone about a week. And <laughs> I said, okay, you, you have any more detail? If you know Alan, you know, that's about as much detail as you're going to get. And so <laughs> we hop in the car and we start driving from Austin to, uh, to Tulsa. We plan to go that week from Tulsa to Oklahoma City to Dallas, Fort Worth, Graham, Wichita Falls, uh, Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, Abilene, back, back home. Yikes. And, uh, as we're driving first day, you know, keep in mind, I'm, I'm sitting here with what I, I feel is like an iconic person in the industry, first SaaS based company. Um, you know, a lot of reverence for who this person is. We crossed the red river and Alan says, Hey, hold the wheel. So what do you mean? Hold the wheel, but hold the wheel. <laughs> Alan grabs his camera and literally as we're driving across the bridge, hangs outside of the window because there's something he wants to take a picture of. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself as a, you know, 25 year old, what the hell did I get myself into? (laughs) It's Sunday. I want to be home with my wife. 
I'm just thinking about that. This what CEO of the company at and your day four day four, you're gonna know you're gonna be in a car with him. That's got to be a little scary. Am I? I what am oh, I gonna yeah. say? I'm gonna get fired on you know, whatever. But and now you're grabbing the wheel for him. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, all I remember at the end of that trip is I wanted a salad more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. It was a series of of late nights, fried food, great customer events, and and time with some awesome people. You know, I, I look back, that was a, that was just an awesome experience for somebody that had never spent time in the patch, you know, growing up in Houston, you, you're around it. Uh, but there's no substitute for actually getting in the field, uh, and seeing just the, the scale, uh, of the industry and really the, the types of people that you get to meet. So it was an awesome experience. I'm sure. It took a couple of years off my life, but, uh, it, <laughs> wouldn't trade it for the world. Yes. I remember, my first job in, in East Texas with uh, Dowell Slumberger sitting at the pit grill at 2 a.m. in the morning uh, and seeing all the oil field folks in there. You know, it just hits you that this is a 24-7, oh, yeah. the whole thing. So you got all these crews that are coming from different places in East Texas, frack jobs, cement jobs, rig crews. Just we're at the pit grill at 2 a.m., all of us fighting over a bottle of Tabasco. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, I uh, I want to talk a little bit about. I mean, we could get into some of the sales fails because I know that those have surely stacked up over the years. But, but I'm curious about um, you. You professionally, like, have you had the ability to dictate what you wanted to do, or has it sort of been well? There's one person in house that we know that can do basically every job within the the sales and and revenue you know growth group. Matt, we need you to do this. Like, how much do you feel like you've dictated and you're doing what you want to do versus this is what we need you to do because you're that important to the company? Yeah, I don't think those two things are um, disjointed. You know, if if you're on the path doing the things that you love to do and 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 you care about doing them really well, you know, the people you surround yourself with, the organization is going to see that. Um, and when you have great leaders around you, great people leading the company, they're going to naturally know the things that, that you have the opportunity yeah. to advance within the company. So, you know, I, I, I've been really fortunate to, you know, take on some interesting roles. You know, I, I led our international team for three years, mm-hmm. have some, uh, <laughs> some really interesting stories from those three years and, you know, been able to participate in, you know, some of the transactions, you know, over the last few years from new private equity. And it, it's been a, it's been a heck of a ride, but I think if you're doing the things that you really want to do uh, and you surround yourself with, with really great leadership, uh, which I've been able to do, those things are noticed and, and it's more collaborative than it is, Hey, I want to go do this or Matt, go do this thing over here. It's, it's kind of a joint agreement that, Hey, you're really good at this. We see there's an opportunity for this thing over here. Uh, and working together to go out and solve it. That's so really good. You, you, I'm going to try and coax a couple of the stories out international. So you said earlier you've been to 22 or 23 countries. Yeah. Uh, I assume most of that was when you were on the international group. So what is the kind of the most remote, weirdest, strangest place you, or maybe the most you know interesting place that you've been? I don't know if that's the same place, but what is uh, – you know, this surprise somebody, you know, I've been to Myanmar or whatever. Uh, man, I, I've been, been a lot of interesting places. I think it's less about the interesting places and more about the interesting stories. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my first trip to Japan, or actually I guess it was Seoul at the time. 
on uh, on Korean Air probably a week or two before I was going on this trip. I, I watched a documentary about the 1983 Korean Air flight get shot down by Russian military. <laughs> That's reassuring. No That's joke. Good, good idea. No joke. When when we are uh, within you know, hundred miles or so of Russian airspace, the pilot comes on and says, Hey, we're going to have to divert a little bit further South. than we thought, uh, there's Russian military, you know, presence in the air right now. So we're trying to avoid that. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's going on? What, 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 what the hell did I sign up for here? You know, I've, oh, I've, been, I've been in the middle East where I thought I was getting kidnapped. I got lost in Mumbai where cell coverage wasn't working. You know, I, I've been in some random places at, at uh, certainly at random times. That's so awesome. Mumbai, I could share that one. That is, uh, it's one of those places, such an interesting dichotomy of there to see poor people. You think you've seen, yeah. you know, poverty. Yeah. And when you drive the streets of Mumbai, you've got these beautiful uh, buildings and and uh, temples and these great beautiful places and across the street is I don't even know how to describe the yeah. the, the the little tent city that's popped up but it's it's very it's an interesting place and I enjoyed the whole time while I was there but it is eye opening as a Westerner uh, going into a place like that for the first time yeah I, absolutely I I actually have a a fondness for for India. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the best merry-go hotel. There's a, there's a, there's a, a saying in there. It says India's an assault on the senses. <laughs> and if you've ever been to India, that's exactly what it is. We, we actually have an office in Bangalore. Mm. Um, and I love going there. The quality of the people in India is, is, you know, as good as anywhere I've been, you know, Tim, it's, it's, it's speaking to kind of the destitution and, and challenges that a place like India has and, and really, what we do and everybody that, that participates in the energy landscape. That's why I love this space. Like if you think about, you know, food, water, shelter, all being necessities of life. So is reliable, affordable energy. Yep. And it's a passion for, you know, myself and many other people and certainly our organization. And I would say the large percentage of the people that exist within the, uh, the oil and gas space. Yeah. And, you know, that's what gets us jazz. That's what gets us excited. And, you know, certainly making trips to places like that, you know, they ground you in, in understanding why what we do is so incredibly important. That's so good. Absolutely. So I want to, I want to go back to April 1st of 2013. It was my first day on the job at Seven Lakes. I just told Tim I was moving on. We dealt with all the emotion of that. Matt and I had a, had a lunch scheduled uh, because Navigator and DI were partners and I'm like, hey, listen, I took a new job. Matt's like, no, that's, that's cool. I'll still come up to Boulder. So we went to the med. We had a little bit of lunch. And I was asking Matt, you know, look, I'm, I'm kind of venturing out on my own. You know, the, the, the kind of parachute's been pulled off. I'm about to jump from the airplane. What advice would you have for me as I go into this? And, and something that resonated with me that, that I actually tell to other people is, you said when you got to Denver, one of the things that you did immediately was become friends with the IHS salespeople, which to me was counterintuitive. It's like, but you're competing head to head. You're walking out of meetings when they're walking in and you know they're going to pick one of you guys most likely. But you said, no, I actually have built good relationships with them. I've talked to them. I've learned. They're actually open books. They root for me in some cases. We both know we're going to get business. And I thought that was just fascinating because I just wanted to kill all competition 
and realized very quickly, you know, there could be times where you sit down with a competitor and they say, oh, I know we're both going for that deal, but that's a better fit for you. You're like, whoa, I never thought that that guy would say that. That to me was was cool. Why don't, why don't you talk about what, what you're, I mean, you moved to Denver, you got this new territory. Why the competition? Well, I think if, if growing up in this industry taught me anything, it's it's a close knit group of people. And at some point in time, you, you, know, heck, you may be working for those guys soon. Yeah. <laughs> that could be too. And, uh, you know, how, how you present yourself uh, is incredibly important. And uh, the reality is <clears throat> to be really good at your job in sales or any customer facing role, you, you have to put yourself in their shoes Yes, and and not the shoes of, of, of just what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. And if you put their goals and objectives first, sometimes that means they shouldn't do business with you and you got to be okay with that. Yes. And when I got here, the reality was, you know, drilling info, you know, we didn't have the product line that, that really competed with IHS. Um, and, and they were doing a fantastic job. And there were situations where it was better for the customer and in, in, to continue the relationship with them. And I was okay with that. And, and I, and I had to be. And, and so, uh, it, it gained a lot of trust with the customer base, gained a lot of trust with the, uh, with the community here in Denver. Uh, and I think there's an important thing. And, and I would say that to any, you know, kind of budding salesperson or any organization is, you know, competition is great. Um, it's great for it's great for us. It's great for anybody that competes with us. And the best thing is, it's great for the customers. Like at the end of the day, you need an environment where we're all challenged and you know, leapfrogging each other over and over and over again, so you bring better technologies to solve really freaking difficult problems. And and put yourself in the eye of the customer. One of the you know the some of the best contacts that I have developed over the years in my customers are guys that. I talk to you and I find out, well, it's not me they want. They want, you know, X, Y, Z. They want seven lakes. Like, you know what? I know a guy over there. Let me call him, plug you in. And you get done that. Yeah. so much respect from yep. the client. And of course, you know, the, the sales guy is happy to, you know, hey, I got a lead. I didn't have to go, you know, farm myself. But, you know, the, the client gives you that respect. So when you come back in the next time, they know that you're there to solve their problem. Whether yep. it's something you can solve or you'll find someone else to solve it for them. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, the, so two things. One, uh, you're you're one of the few sales leaders I've met that when you sit down, and maybe this is just you, maybe it's something you've learned, but you know, when you sit down I, with with me or with whoever, I don't think you have an expectation that that a favor has to happen, that I need to give you a lead or that it has to go both ways. But I think those things happen very organically. Advice I'd give to younger salespeople is just go in to, to meet people, be yourself and have authentic conversations. And you'll probably see more business come from that than me saying, I'm going to sit down with Matt. I got these two customers of his I need to talk to. They don't have that product. Matt, can you you'd be put off? Like that's not how we that's not how we interact and, and it's not how people should yeah. should do business, frankly. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. I think I, I, again it's you've got a personal brand that you have as a salesperson and, and really, you know, any role you play and that's going to carry with you for a long period of time. And the opportunity to develop authentic, genuine relationships where you truly do care about the right outcomes, that's going to get you way farther than a flash in the pan. I got these two new leads, you know, that's fleeting, uh, long-term relationships, you know, that, that, that creates trust, you know, creates opportunity. You know, it, it's, it's just the right way to approach it. Okay. So 17 years 
all in sales, all enjoying info. The the name tripping over the barrel, by the way, for this this show came from the idea that we were going to talk about our sales failures, falling down in meetings, which is literally <laughs> where the where the name came from. Yep. So 17 years, you've had to see some pretty crazy situations in sales meetings and demos or whatever else. Do any come to mind as kind of funny episodes that that you're allowed to tell? Oh man. You know, I'm I'll tell them about me because I think it's only fair that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I when I first started, you know, our first uh our first conferences, we brought our server with us. So you you can imagine the difficulty in demoing a tool, you know, nice. especially when multiple people were there. Like, well, we we don't we don't have two servers here. So I, I I'm not sure how we're gonna treat this. Then we go to a situation where you know, we were growing so fast that, you know, quite honestly, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't that good at what I was doing. I was riding the wave of, of SaaS technology energy space. And it was, you know, demo, demo, demo. Well, there were times where, you know, <laughs> connections were bad or what have you. And I, I'm, I'm drawing on the whiteboard, you know, what people can see with our applications. I said, imagine this. And, uh, you know, we evolved <laughs> over time, but I think the absolute worst that I ever engaged with, we were in discussions with a IOC in Western Europe. You know, I didn't speak the local language and we were uh, we were invited over to go and have a conversation. And I pretty much failed in every aspect of the way of why are we going? What's the problem you're trying to solve? What's the timing that you want to be able to solve it by? All the basics that that any person that comes in the sales has been doing it for six months. I got so damn excited about this really big opportunity in this really cool place. Myself and two others go over there, you know, not an inexpensive trip. I was wrong, dead completely wrong. What they were trying to do is something that we fundamentally could not do. Oh, no. So you can imagine oh. three salespeople trying to, you know, <laughs> navigate the waters of, well, hey, we're trying to develop this, you know, you know, offshore, you know, structure from Equatorial Guinea. And it's like, got it. And not us. that's not really. So we were there for mm, 15 minutes, maybe. Oh, wow. Well, I, that, it, it's a cur- It's happened to me where you're, you go to a meeting and you realize, okay, we're, we're not the solution. You figure it out in the first two minutes, but do you have the guts just to say, Hey, we're not the, we're not, we're not the right people and we're going to shut the meeting down because especially if you flew and I'm going to guess it's France, but if you flew to France and you find out, Oh, so now we got to justify why we flew all these people over here. And Oh man, that's gotta be one of the toughest, toughest. Let's uh, just say I didn't, I didn't advertise it that way internally at the time. (laughs) (laughs) That thing was definitely moving through the pipe. You talk about taking servers. I mean, I cut my teeth in the industry. I started in the uh, mid nineties and you had to take your own projector. You had to take your own overhead and your own laptops. You know, there's no way you'd have any connectivity. And then if you fast forward a few years and everyone started having projectors in their meeting, I had to come with my own cables because I didn't know if it was going to be a VGA hookup, an HDMI hookup, a RGB cable hookup. It was I remember many meetings failing where everybody having to crowd around my little laptop because we couldn't connect to anything. Yeah, no, been there, done that <laughs> a thousand times over. When, to, let, 
And Jeremy, when we have Larry Denver on, we need to bring him on because these stories are fascinating. But back in the day, they were selling Unix solutions. Yeah. So you had to ship Unix boxes, Silicon Graphics or Sun Stations to the client before mm. you could show up and do a demo. That absolutely crazy. Did the, ser- what did the server show up? Yeah. Did the show up? Is the server there? Is do we have crosslink cables? Do we have? Oh, unbelievable. Amazing. So Matt, I, I want to ask you a couple questions and this is really for a lot of the, the younger salespeople to, to understand what it takes. Um, what time do you typically start work in the morning? Uh, usually about, I get up about five every day. Five, start getting on the computer, five something, five fifteen, five thirty. Yeah. I, I usually like to get up, you know, I, I, I've read some interesting articles about the most productive time for executives and it tends to be that, that kind of five to seven. Um, you know, it's, it's, and, and even earlier in that, in some cases, and, and the reason why is there's no phone calls, there's no text messages, there's no emails, and there's also no new news. Mm-hmm. So there's no real outlets. You're not, you're not finding anything new. And so it's really the only down period, um, at any given point in time. And that's where I really thrive. You know, the opportunity to really think without distraction, uh, to be able to really plan you know, the course of the day, uh, because once, once the day really gets started, you know, you're, you're, you're almost reactive by nature because there's so many things coming at you. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I tend to get up early, um, and, and, and always have really. 17, no one wants on your calendar at 5am in the morning nope, that I nope. have proven 17 <laughs> years at one company, 23 countries, right? Still working there, still getting up at 5am. I think it's a really good reminder to anybody listening to this, whether it's your sales team, whether it's just general salespeople, like you, you don't get to where someone like Matt gets to by mistake. Like, let's be very clear about that. You need a base level of, of will and skill, but it's that constant and consistent execution that, that is part of what you've done that sets a really good example for your team. So I give you immense credit for that. And for me, it's more like maybe 6, 6.30, but I always think, Matt Wilcoxon's already up and working. I better get up too. Well, you know, it, it's really easy to do it when you got three kids. Yeah, right. Because you know, oh. if you don't take that time, you have no time. It's tough, right? We kind of have to pick, like, do you get the morning or the evening? And I think evening is a little bit more fun with the, with the kids because morning's hectic, getting them ready for school. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. The one thing I learned was get up before the kids, get your stuff done, then get them up and get them ready. Otherwise, if if you're all trying to get ready to get out the door at the same time, that it's, it's sheer hell. Yeah, absolutely. Final, final question. And I, I, who knows if you give this any consideration, but have you ever (laughs) given thought to the fact that you might just work at this one company for your whole career? Yeah. The, the one thing I would say is uh, I don't necessarily view it as one company. Yeah. And the reason I say that is we, we, we evolved so much over time that it, it seems like a series of new companies, you know, kind of along the way, but uh, absolutely, you know, 42, you know, taking on a new role here at the organization. Uh, great, great equity partners. Uh, I'm having a blast. I love this. I love this ener- the, the, uh, the energy space. I love the people we work with. I think it's what people seek out and then I'd, I'd be a fool to go do something else. So I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's an odd thing. I think yeah. it's more, more, uh, my grandfather's generation than it is mine, Definitely. but, uh, you know, it, it may well come true. Amazing. 
Matt, any final words of wisdom for, for people listening? I think you've dropped a lot of nuggets here. I'm going to have to re-listen to this before we, before we drop it. Anything you want to want to share? Yeah. Uh, always ask for help. You know, one, one of the things I, I, I see more than anything is um, a reluctance to, uh, to be vulnerable. So, you know, you don't get anywhere that you want to be with, without some challenges and having to overcome along the way. So uh, take them on, you know, go, go ahead first and enjoy the process. And every change creates huge opportunity, figure out what it is and, and, and map your goals to it. So uh, one of the hardest things to do is mm-hmm. train yourself to ask for help. It is. It is. And, 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 uh, be humble along the way. Yep. And you have keep going, Matt. We appreciate you, brother. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. And Tim, once, uh, UT joins the SEC, we'll have a, uh, we'll get some tailgates together. Uh, it sounds delightful. <laughs> 